Welcome to the Promo Cares Radio Podcast, where we share the stories about the good being done in the promotional products industry. From philanthropic efforts to cause marketing to giving programs, these are the people who are inspiring others to improve the world through promo. To learn more about Promo Cares, visit promocares.org. Now, on with today's show. Hello, Promo Cares Radio. Thank you for joining us again today. We have a very special guest, Kevin Flynn. Uh, he is um, graciously decided to join us on this podcast, and we really appreciate it. He is Director of Sales of TBK Promotions, which is a certified women business enterprise in Chicago, Illinois. So welcome, Kevin. Thank you for having me, Carrie. Thank you for having us, you know, as a host. We're very happy to have you. So Kevin has been in the industry for 22 years, and he has a passion for teaching and learning and is a serial volunteer, which is something that I say all the time. I totally agree with you. Uh, During his career in promotional products, he has worked diligently to elevate the industry through volunteering, and um, I I actually personally worked with him back in 2004, 2005. We're not quite sure, but we both have quite the career in um, volunteering, so I appreciate that, and I know your heart, and I'm so glad you're with us today. I couldn't be happier to be here. Good. And you are married, two kids, and when you're not working or volunteering, you like to camp. I do. Play ice hockey. Yes, despite my wife's love. Yes, I'm a cook. Does she love when you cook or she loves your cooking? No, she loves when I cook. Uh, She also loves my cooking. She likes less that I play ice hockey. Ah, uh, gotcha. I kind of, I could see that. I, I like, ho- a, good, a good hockey game is good, but man, that's, that's some dangerous stuff when you're on a sheet of ice with a little blade. <laughs> the, six, the 16-inch titanium plate and 11 screws in my right leg probably are one. Oh, Lord, yeah, yeah. I could see how she would have that feeling. I waited so then, and, 40 years to break a bone, and then I broke my tibia and fibula, so. Well, that that's was why she, You were That's why big. she's, yeah, right. Go big or go home. Yeah, that's that sounds that sums you up in, in one little sentence. And then you also said you have a wood fire pizza, like you make that. Yeah. So my wife, uh, whose name strangely is also Carrie. Oh, nice. Uh, she and I decided for our anniversary this year we're going to buy ourselves an uni wood fired pizza oven. So. Oh, very cool. So has that happened yet? It has. So Sunday oh, nice. Sundays are typically pizza night from scratch. Oh, that is awesome. And your kids all hang out, and it's a great space for everyone. It is. In fact, my 15-year-old daughter asked the other day, because we camped a lot in the summer, she said, you know, my friends are really wanting to know what happened to Sunday pizza night. <laughs> oh, everybody's in. Exactly. That. That's exactly. great. That's what I want when I grow up for my kids. I want them to want to hang out with me, because I make good pizza. <laughs> right. Well, anytime you're in awesome. Chicago, I can happily help you with that. Okay, I like Chicago. It's my favorite city, so I will have to do that. Take you up on that. Um, So tell us how you got into the industry of promotional products. Uh, Like many people, birth. Mm. So uh, my father started his own promotional products distributorship after working for another distributor in Chicago in 1976. If my mother were in this conversation, she would say over her dead body. Uh... She took over for him in 1988, 89. In 1990, she closed Company A and opened Company B. In 1997, I guess, when I got out of college, I thought I would get an immediate job, pay off some debts, and then continue my journey, which at that point was going to be either uh, network technologies of some kind from the computer industry or graduate school to be a clinical psychologist. And unfortunately, or fortunately for everybody who joins promotional products, 
it's Hotel California. So you yes. check in and no one leaves. Exactly, which is good and bad, I guess. Right, for all But of there's us. some pretty awesome people in our industry, so. It's amazing. Yeah. It it's is my amazing. favorite. Very cool. Okay, and so um, the reason we want to have you on today was because um, you have some involvement with a, an organization called Lost for Hope in Chicago. And can you tell us a little bit about the organization itself? So, uh, minor correction, the organization is actually called LOSS. It's an acronym. It's the Loving Outreach to the Survivors of Suicide. It's actually a Catholic Charities sponsored function. Okay. And uh, ostensibly what they do is they put together a series of uh, 12-step style meetings at churches and other gatherings. And survivors of suicide, meaning if you've had a a friend, a family member, an otherwise loved one, take their life with suicide, they they put together these support groups. Oh, very cool. Okay. So some 15 years ago, not too different from when I met you, uh, I met a good friend of mine whose name is John, and we started running golf outings. And I had no idea that his journey of running a golf outing started with uh, a parent who'd committed suicide. So he got involved in what was then the loss outing. So they were, that was the first fundraiser for the program. So okay. here we are years later. We've done, I don't know, three dozen golf outings together, whatever ridiculous number it is. And Roger inspired me to find some sort of public cause. So w- what is it that I was going to spend my time? I'm no longer on the board of PPA Chicago. I'm no longer involved in the kids' school or any of these sorts of things. And I found myself looking for a, a volunteer outlet. So January 2nd, I went to breakfast with my friend John and said, hey, how can I get involved in loss? And John looked at me across the table and said, I had no idea how I was going to start this conversation with you today, but I need your help. Love that. So like the worlds came together and for the next however many months, he kept saying, it's going to be fine we're really doing God's work which is kind of funny because he's not a particularly religious person right? mm-hmm. he's not normally that wouldn't come out of his mouth but right so anyway we started this series of meetings with a group of people that the priest Father Charles Ruby who started loss 40 years ago has been a Catholic priest for 40 years and some of the older folks in the longer standing members of the group said hey I really want to do something for Charlie celebrate his 40 years celebrate the program so you know let's do something and then that turned into breakfast with me which turned into a lunch with a smaller group of people and on we went planning what was going to end up being an August event at Wrigley Field Oh, that's amazing. Okay, so let's go back to um, Father Charles Ruby. Mm-hmm. Um, how did he become involved in this suicide mission with him, with everyone? So there's, uh, for anybody who's really interested in the, the particular details, the, the full story is at, at lostforhope.com. But Charlie was approached by some folks who were going through this, and I think they themselves sort of got connected with uh, a smaller group of, of additional people and basically those people went to Charlie and said hey you know these people need some help I, I think we can we can sort of put together an informal meeting and 
So a, a few parishioners of his and then some friends, it, it started grassroots. And one meeting turned into a meeting on the west side of Chicago and on the south side of Chicago and on the near north side. And the, the story is really amazing. In fact, he's Charlie's traveled to other countries and started helped start these groups in other in other programs in other countries. So that the, is amazing. The grassroots support group, like I said, it's very much twelve step where you know you sort of come together and it's a little less anonymous than that. But you can imagine if you're the survivor of a suicide in, in your family, you know, forever no one ever even said the word. Mm-hmm. So if if you happen to be one of those people, it, you weren't going around the corner and saying, "Hey." Carrie, like, you know, my brother, sister, aunt, uncle took their life by suicide. Can we go to the bar and have a beer and talk about it? Right. You know, or, you know, so for decades, you know, 40 years ago, it was super hush-hush. And I think that's mm-hmm. part of the way that it started is, you know, the, the Catholic parish was sort of a, went to the priest because it was safe, right? He couldn't go talking right. to people about it. It just evolved from there. That's amazing. Well, bless his heart. Indeed. It's an amazing story. So then we moved to August at Wrigley Field. Tell us about this event that you had. So it's quite a journey. Uh, Coming from where you and I met, you know exactly the journey which I'm talking about because a decision by committee is never simple. And um, dancing for uh, another master is never simple. And you you and I both work in small businesses, make decisions and those sorts of things when you're in a situation where you've been asked to be involved and you you hit a brick wall, it's frustrating. So there were about 40 times in this process that, you know, I looked across the table at John and said, this event's not going to happen. So a series of meetings and, you know, a whole lot of cooler heads prevail situations between some of the smaller committee members. Uh, I get a phone call saying, hey, we got the clearance to do this event. We've raised enough money to cover the, the costs. And uh, we figured out how to, you know, sort of work some of the monies. And particular events like this are challenging because of the way money comes in. And anyway, I learned a whole lot about that portion of, of the process. But And it's kind of like you get pulled into event planning, which is not really your intent. You know, well, but because you do this and you have to raise money and you have to cover. So did you rent out Wrigley Field or? So funny story. I, I'm brought into this because uh, to do heavy lifting. They wanted me to do the marketing piece. I needed to do the website. I needed the social media. They needed a swag bag. And to be perfectly honest, my, my good friend was in a, a horrible car accident not far from where you grew up. Uh, he rolled the Jeep and broke his neck. So he's, on his own journey, struggling with some cognitive stuff and memory, and so he needed me, basically, to do what I did for him for all those years and just keep him on track. Right. So that, I became the logistics guy, and then day of, I know what he needs, he knew what I need. We, we figured wherever it is, we'll figure it out. So we sit down with this guy, Bob Chodos, and he's super passionate about it. And Bob says, I have this vision. I talked to Tom Ricketts we're going to go to Wrigley Field. <laughs> now, now I'm a 45-year-old Southsider, right? So I, I should be a Sox fan. And while I know who Tom Ricketts is, he owns the Cubs, for those of you people who don't, uh, I, I can't pick up the phone and be like, hey, Tom, can we do this? Right. 
Well, the circles that these folks who were the stalwart collectors of money are on first-name basises with these people, right? That's always helpful. Right. So it was the best possible opportunity. I have to execute. I don't have to raise a nickel. Uh, meaning I don't need to personally ask anybody to raise money. I'm just here to help market, steer, and execute. Right. This is right in my wheelhouse. So Bob says, this is what's going to happen. And I look at John and say, okay, uh, uh, really? I mean, uh, I realize that everybody wants this, but okay. So it, it became... You know, this, here's the telephone number of the person at the Cubs. They're square. And, and again, the whole thing, you know, comes and goes and ebbs and flows and, and doesn't quite fall apart. But there's a lot of struggles with the usage of Wrigley Field. There are sponsors. There are, you know, contractual agreements that you can't get out of. And right. all of a sudden, our top sponsor potentially couldn't use their name because of a contractual obligation that the Cubs have. Mm-hmm. So, anyway, uh, about three weeks before the event, I get the phone call. So we've got 15 days to put this thing together. And we have no idea how many people are coming. <laughs> All we know is there's like, you know, $440,000 in the bank. And about $165,000 is the event budget okay so uh, I look at John and say what do you want me to do I have three weeks I need a letter from the Monsignor who's in charge of Catholic Charities I need a letter from Father Ruby I don't have anybody's logo like all of a sudden I got to put a book together the original idea was not to do a traditional program but to do something like they did and I don't know if you were present but at SKUCon last year Camille like put together this you know, standard five by seven looking journal book. Right. And when you open it, there was the schedule for the day and the bios for the people. And I thought, hey, this is it. This is perfect. It's functional. It's usable. Add value to the event. And by the way, the ticket was between five hundred and seven hundred fifty dollars a head. So it'd be a nice giveaway. Like right. we get some marketing out of it. Blah blah blah. Well, three weeks out, no one knew anything, and we had no idea if 30 people or 300 people would show up. And the people at Catholic Charities said, we don't want the expense. (laughs) So we we have this copy of Father Ruby's book. We're going to give it to people on the way out as a thank you. And I thought, oh, my Lord. So somebody just scratched you a $500 check. You're going to give them a copy of a book? Right. No offense to Ronnie Wright, but it wasn't much of a presentation. And that was what I was trying to get to was right. I need something for these people to carry this thing. I mean, half the group took the L. You know, they weren't even driving a car. So anyway, uh, it, it came together because we didn't stop. We didn't stop having the conversation. We didn't stop pushing when someone said, no, you can't do that. It was, Carrie, if you were sitting next to me, you would have been like mouth agape. Because Mm -hmm. every time somebody would say, at the Cubs, you can't do that. That's against X contract. I would get frustrated. I would go back to the group, and all of a sudden, this guy, Tom, who's in the group, Tom Seberg, he would say, hang on, let me make a phone call. Yeah. Well, Tom Seberg's boss has his name on a building next to Wrigley Field and owns an entrance at Wrigley Field. 
<laughs> somehow or other, every one of those no's miraculously turned into yes. yes. It was like, mom said no, I'm going to dad. Right. And right. it worked. You and just so, keep showing up. Right. And so right. The, the day of, we're looking at the weather, and I'm shaking my head saying, what are we going to do with all these people? This event is scheduled to be on the grass in the outfield, and it's pouring. I mean, like, call Noah, cats yeah. and dogs, it's pouring. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you saw the picture I posted, but there was about a five- or eight-minute sliver of time before the event started where the sun came out. And I was able to grab that picture next to the photographer because I said, mm-hmm. okay, we've got a window. This is all we got. Right. 262 people showed up. <laughs> and it went off. I mean, other than a few of us looking around saying this could have been different or this could have been different. It, right. It went off that hitch. That I, is awesome. I still can't figure out how. I, I keep Sometimes you at, don't have to figure that out. Sometimes well, it's it's magically appointed and it's going to happen. And as long as you keep showing up and you have that nudge, then it's going to come together. You have to I, believe that. I keep going back to John saying, look, we're doing God's work. <laughs> In St. Patrick's Day, we sat down and said, okay, if we have 100 people and we can make 1000 bucks a head, I'll be happy. Yeah. As so of, tell us what we ended up uh, what we ended up at. As of my last email, and, and money is still coming in from what I'm told, but as of my last email, like 400 and, uh, sorry, $847,000 net proceeds. That is a pretty good per capita when you're looking at 262 people, Kevin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's I, awesome. And I wish that I could say that it was me who collected the money. It is not. I was able to, you know, keep the, the train on the tracks. Uh, Bob Chodos and Tom Seberg and... Pat Gallagher and all these folks were the stalwart givers or collectors of money. And when you have those kind of connections and a cause that's, you know, truly life-saving, right? So the, mm-hmm. the group of people who got involved, and again, if, if anybody's interested, there's some videos where it's almost difficult to watch because you can see this mom or dad or brother or sister who are talking about, you know, the loss of a loved one. Mm-hmm. And you know, we kept saying we need something that's like the St. Jude situation where yeah. you're, you're listening to, you know, Jane and Jimmy Smith say X about their child because, right. you know, as a parent or a sibling or, or whatever, you can identify with it. And these people did an amazing job pouring their hearts out about their stories. And it, some of them, you know, it's, it's a fairly recent event, so it's still very raw. Right. So Exactly. Pro- the, the whole conversation started with Promo Cares saying, it's not why you do it, or it's not what you do, it's why you do it. And this whole thing started with, you know, I, I'm looking for a cause to put some time into, and I was able to lend a hand, and we fell short of our million-dollar budget, which I'm sad about. I don't like missing goals. But at the end of the conversation, I, I feel good about Working, having met the people I, I met and doing the work we did. Right, exactly. And, and every single person had something to do. And, and even if it is not something financially you can do, and it's something, like you said, you just kept showing up and door after door closes and you just keep opening them and say, no, 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 like this is going to happen because you're right. nudged that way. You listen and that's, that's a beautiful thing. And look at what happened. And you didn't meet a million next year. Like, you doing it next year? No. So, 
and no. I'm not right. Actually, one time deal. I said to the group that night because there's a thousand things that I personally could have done differently, and in Always. fact, we wanted to run this event independent of Catholic charities for a, a, a number of reasons. Uh, one of which was we just didn't want to have to bother them with the process. So we enlisted the help of a 5013C who's willing to sponsor the, you know, at no cost, who's willing to, mm-hmm. you know, collect the money and do the accounting and those sorts of things. And in which case, we would have to worry about nothing but handing Catholic Charities a check. And right. it started that way. And the first yes, and then the rug got pulled out from under us, was no, 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 no we, we can't do that. So it was a, a very big ask from a lot of people, and the decision was mm-hmm. we were going to do this one time. And the goal was to raise enough money because obviously Father Charles Ruby's 78 years old or however old he is. He's not going to be around forever. Right. And there's a shortage of Catholic priests. So they needed some... The hope was that they would spend... And they would collect money for an endowment that they would be able to pay a layperson moving forward to run this program. Right. That is awesome. So. Okay, so I have a question for you. Are you a Cubs fan or a Sox fan? You were saying that you were in the right place to be a Sox fan, but are you a Cubs fan? Uh, so I'm, I'm a challenging human being. <laughs> if, if football, baseball, basketball never played again, I wouldn't miss it. So gotcha. I, I, if the Cubs were playing the White Sox in the World Series, I'm rooting for the White Sox. Okay, got it. So if, if that's... I tell you, Wrigley, Wrigley Field is my favorite baseball stadium. It's just the coolest experience down there. It's nothing like it. When's the last time you were there? Um, probably about five years ago. Let me tell you, it's, uh, it may as well be the Jake as far as you're considered because it is, other than the actual field portion. And the seats in you know between the baselines ain't nothing the same. Really? Well, Zero. I'm glad I saw it in, the, in its heyday. Then that's good. I mean, the stuff. inside of the building looks fine, but like the neighborhoody feel, where like you walk across the street in any direction and there's a bar every other door. Right. Some of that's changed. Huh. So that's like most stadiums, it's gotten a little corporate for my liking. Yeah, that happens as we go on. It does. Well. Um, Anything else for the good of the order? Thank you so much for sharing that story, and congratulations. And it's it's really great to hear that you were able to give that kind of a legacy to Father Charles. That's great. I loved it. Good, good, good. All right. Well, um, again, this was Kevin, and he is with um, TBK Promotions out of Chicago. So if you ever want to check him out, and also um, – Big, big heart for volunteering, so if you ever need him on a committee, reach out. <laughs> Gee, thanks. You're welcome. All right, well, take care, Kevin. Thanks for thanks. being on. Have a good night, Take Carrie. care. You too. Bye-bye.